Hey there, it's Kathy. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to History of the 90s early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All right, Mr. Car- Mr. Uh, Simpson, would you please stand and face the jury? Mrs. Robertson. Superior Court of California, County of Los Angeles. In the matter of the people of the state of California versus Orenthal James Simpson, case number BA097211. Where were you on October 3rd, 1995? Does that date ring a bell? No? Well, what if I told you it's when O.J. Simpson was found not guilty of the murders of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman? Take a minute. Think back. We, the jury, in the above entitled action, find the defendant, Orenthal James Simpson, not guilty of the crime of murder in violation of Penal Code Section 187A, a felony upon Nicole Brown Simpson, a human being, as charged in count one of the information. Do you remember that day now? We, the jury, in the above entitled action, find the defendant, Orenthal James Simpson, not guilty of the crime of murder in violation of Penal Code Section 187A, a felony upon Ronald Lyle Goldman, a human being, as charged in count two of the information. I can tell you where I was. I was in Los Angeles, sent there the night before by my news director in Toronto to cover one of the most anticipated verdicts in history. I'm Kathy Kinzora. And this is The History of the 90s, a podcast about a decade that changed the world. On this episode, we're digging deep into the archive of my previous podcast, The History of 1995, to bring you the incredible story of the OJ verdict. The OJ Simpson trial captivated the world. The Football Hall of Famer, celebrity pitchman, and actor stood accused of murdering his ex-wife, Nicole Brown Simpson, and Ron Goldman. Their bodies had been found outside her condominium in the upscale Los Angeles neighborhood of Brentwood. Their throats had been slashed. It's remembered as the trial of the century, and for very good reason. Approximately 100 million people around the world watched the court proceedings, which lasted nine months, and included over 100 witnesses and nearly a 1,000 exhibits. According to an article in Entertainment Weekly in 1995, the world had followed every turn of the case so closely that the trial would permanently change the news cycle and media patterns. Americans had never been so consumed by a single news story. Viewers were switching from scripted television dramas and soap operas to watch months of trial developments. The trial created some of the most intense early demand for the current 24-hour news cycle, and it sowed the seeds for the reality television boom to follow. It was a trial filled with iconic moments, like the testimony of O.J.'s house guest, Cato Kalin, and the moment when O.J. Simpson tried on that bloody leather glove found on the scene. 
This led to Simpson's defense lawyer, Johnny Cochran, saying the infamous line, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Considering the duration and magnitude of this trial, everyone was caught off guard when the jury came back after only four hours of deliberating and announced they had reached a verdict. How could a case with that much at stake be resolved so quickly? Most had anticipated the jury would take between two to four weeks to reach a verdict. The trial had involved more than 45,000 pages of transcripts, not to mention the very complex and confusing DNA evidence taken from blood found at the murder scene in Simpson's Bronco and on the walkway to Simpson's house. The verdict had come down so fast that prosecutor Marsha Clark and defense lawyer Johnny Cochran weren't even in the courthouse. To allow everyone time to get back to court, Judge Lance Ito ruled the verdict would not be opened until the next morning at 10 o'clock Pacific time. That meant everyone had a chance to get ready and reporters like myself scrambled to book last-minute flights to L.A. According to a Time magazine article in 1995, planes crammed with journalists departed from across the country, all headed to LAX. One Time correspondent named hers the O.J. Express. By the next morning, you could feel the strong police presence gathered outside the L.A. County Courthouse, where a crowd was forming to wait for the verdict. And around the country, millions tuned into their televisions to watch the verdict read live. If you weren't born in 1995, or you're too young to remember, it's kind of hard to grasp what a big deal this was. But some of the numbers from that day might help you understand. The estimates are a bit scattered, but according to a 2014 article in Business Insider, somewhere between 95 million and 150 million people watched the verdict live. That's 75% of all adults in the U.S. were watching. Long-distance calls were down 58% during that half hour. Electric consumption surged as Americans used their TVs. And if you can believe it, water usage decreased because people didn't go to the bathroom during the half hour of the live coverage. Trading volume dropped 41% on the New York Stock Exchange. Government meetings around the country were delayed and press conferences were postponed. President Bill Clinton left the Oval Office to watch the verdict with his staff. And Supreme Court justices hearing a case that day arranged to have notes passed to them so they could know what the verdict was as soon as it came down. The nationally televised and racially charged trial had captivated the world, and now everyone was waiting to see what would happen next. Los Angeles police had initiated their emergency procedures as a precaution against possible rioting. The city and the entire nation was on edge because of what happened a few years earlier after the verdict in the Rodney King case. I'm advised that uh, there is someone from the Secretary of State's office on the way over to accept this proclamation of a state emergency, of a state of emergency for Los Angeles City and Los Angeles County. And it is our purpose here at the state government level to restore law and order and to minimize the danger to the residents of the area. This is a matter that needs to be settled in the courts and not in the streets. Thank you. 
1992, four L.A. police officers were acquitted in connection with the vicious beating and arrest of Rodney King. After a traffic stop, King, who was black, was tasered, hit with batons, tackled to the ground, and handcuffed. Four white police officers continued to beat King while he was on the ground. He was hit over 50 times with a baton and received 11 fractures. Over 20 other police officers stood and watched as the beating took place. We know this because the beating was videotaped by a local resident using a camcorder. Remember, this was long before smartphones, and nothing like this had ever been seen by the public before. The four officers were charged with using excessive force. A year later, on April 29, 1992, a mostly white jury consisting of 12 residents from the distant suburbs of Ventura County acquitted the four officers. The Rodney King beating came following years of racial and economic inequality in the city, on top of heavy tension between the black community and the LAPD, which was famously captured by rap group NWA's 1988 hit, Fuck the Police. So when the not guilty verdict came down, it's like Los Angeles blew a gasket. Within hours of the verdict, fury over the acquittal spilled into the streets, resulting in five days of rioting in Los Angeles. According to an NPR retrospective in 2017, residents set fires, looted and destroyed liquor stores, grocery stores, retail shops, and fast food restaurants. Light-skinned motorists, both white and Latino, were targeted. Some were pulled out of their cars and beaten. You might remember the helicopter footage from above the intersection of Florence and Normandy in south-central L.A., the epicenter of the riot. Reginald Denny, a white truck driver, was pulled from his truck and beaten. He was attacked with a tire iron, a fire extinguisher, and a brick. Four people emerged from the crowd to rescue him and drove him and his 18-wheeler to safety. The whole thing was captured on videotape, And shortly after, the governor of California declared a state of emergency and called 1,100 Marines, 600 Army soldiers, and 6,500 National Guard troops to patrol the streets. From April 30th to May 4th, dusk-to-dawn curfews were enforced in the city and county of Los Angeles until the riots were finally extinguished. By the time it was all over, 50 people had died, and over 2,000 were injured throughout Los Angeles County. Damages were estimated at over $1 billion, and thousands of buildings were damaged or destroyed. So this was on everyone's mind when a verdict was reached in the O.J. Simpson case. If he was found guilty, what would happen in L.A.? Would there be another riot? Defense lawyer Johnny Cochran had stoked the racial tension throughout the trial by suggesting to the jury that Simpson was framed by white police detective Mark Furman and there was a racist conspiracy within the police department. In his closing arguments, Cochran called Furman a genocidal racist and compared him to Adolf Hitler. Prosecutors ridiculed the police conspiracy theory And in his closing argument, Christopher Darden, who's black, 
told the jury the defendant's fame and race should not affect the way justice is handed out. Emotions were high inside the packed courtroom and around the nation as the verdicts were read by the court clerk. O.J. Simpson, flanked by his lawyers, faced the jury. After the clerk read the words, not guilty, and the death of Nicole Brown Simpson, O.J. looked stunned momentarily. Then he smiled, a slow, uncertain smile, as Johnny Cochran slapped him on the back. Then O.J. let out a deep breath. When the clerk read, not guilty, and the death of Ron Goldman, loud crying could be heard in the courtroom and the camera panned to the people in the crowd. Ron Goldman's sister was bent over, sobbing. Her father was rubbing her back. In interviews since the verdict, including one this year with Howard Stern, Kim Goldman has said when she looked up, Johnny Cochran looked at her and mouthed the word, gotcha. OJ was also seen mouthing the words, thank you, to the jury. Juror number one, as to count one, is this your verdict? Juror number two, as to count one, is this your verdict? Juror number three, as to count one, is this your verdict? Juror number four, as to count one, is this your verdict? Juror number five, as to count one, is this your verdict? Juror number six, as to count one, As the jury was polled by the court clerk to confirm the verdict, the camera panned to the prosecution table. Marsha Clark and Christopher Darden sat stone-faced in disbelief. The whole time, Kim Goldman could be heard sobbing in the background. Ron's stepmother, Patty Goldman, dropped to her knees. His father, Fred Goldman, shut his eyes and then seemed to draw back as if he were punched or his heart stopped. The relatives of Nicole Brown Simpson, including her mother and her sister, stared blankly at the jury as tears streamed down their faces. O.J.'s family wiped away tears of joy, as did O.J.'s lawyer and friend, Robert Kardashian, the father of the famous Kardashians we're so busy keeping up with today. Outside the courthouse, more than a thousand people filled the streets and sidewalks. They listened to the verdicts on portable radios, and they cheered wildly when they heard the words, not guilty. I was outside the courthouse, too. It was hot and smoggy, and I could see a dozen or so helicopters hovering over the area. I was in the thick of it. It was mayhem, but not the kind of mayhem that people feared. It was a joyous celebration. There would be no riots. Police were on foot, shoulder to shoulder, making a wall between the people and the doors to the courthouse. Other officers were on horseback, and snipers were perched on nearby buildings watching the crowd from above. Despite the heavy police presence, it still kind of felt like a victory party. Most of the people I talked to thought justice had been served. And we're celebrating a people's victory. That's why we're, I'm here. Why are you here? Same reason. How long are you going to stay for? Hey, I don't know. I'm supposed to be at work right now, but I'm going to be here until it's over. <laughs> I hope my boss don't hear this. <laughs> right about There's that, a lot of, you know, I think there's a lot of police out here too, and like, you know, it's good for the people to be here and keep an eye on them. You never know what kind of dirty brutality they're gonna pull. Justice has been served. We've been fighting for so long. Need I say no more? From day one, we know he was innocent. How come you came down here today? 
I wanted to taste victory, not just see it. I wanted to taste it. According to opinion polls taken throughout the trial, an overwhelming majority of blacks in the U.S. believed the famous footballer and actor was an innocent man victimized by whites. An equally significant proportion of white Americans believed that Simpson had in fact murdered his ex-wife and Ron Goldman. The O.J. trial had been a stark reminder of racial divisions in the U.S. So whether O.J. was found guilty or innocent, it would have meant huge segments of the country were going to feel betrayed by the verdict. Someone had to lose. Outside the courthouse, some of those who were unhappy with the verdict weren't shy about sharing their opinions. A guy wearing a t-shirt that read, OJ is guilty, wandered into the crowd and argued about the jury's decision. He's a murderer. He's a murderer. He's guilty. He had DNA. Mark Furman is a racist. I didn't say that. I didn't say Mark Furman is not a good man. That's not right what he said. Mark Furman said terrible well, then things. if he's not a good man, you know that from the start. He was up on because the stand lying. Chase, How could you believe anything OJ that they killed, say? OJ killed he's in the police department. OJ, OJ killed two people. That's the bottom You know, you if you could prove it, it had been done. It's not, it's not, it's not proof. proof. He's innocent. Believe it, baby. You want to know the bottom line? They didn't want riots. They didn't want riots in the city of L.A. That's the bottom line. That resentment boiled over when police finally announced that OJ had left the building. Mr. Simpson has been released from custody. The whole time I was in the crowd, I was filing reports back to my radio station in Toronto, talking live on the air with talk show hosts. There has been nobody other than the police talking to the public. And a couple of times when the police did talk to the public, people shouted angrily, uh, LAPD guilty, LAPD guilty. And at one point, um, the shift of officers that were manning sort of the, uh, the street in this area left for their break and a new group came in and as they were leaving, they were booed as they walked away. Mostly it has been people that support OJ. As I said, there's this one guy walking around uh, with a shirt on saying OJ guilty, arguing with whoever will listen to him. And I mentioned last hour how someone was arrested. It turned out two people were taken away and they were media. Um, they were two uh, reporters or cameramen fighting over a spot close to the door. So it uh, turns out to not to be uh, the public rioting, but to maybe the media getting just into a little bit of a skirmish. And where I'm standing right now, right across the street from me, are the, the scaffoldings and all the lights and the cameras. And I would say each reporter and camera probably has about a, a foot, a square foot to stand on. It, it's so crowded over there in this uh, media compound. And it's just been nonstop. The lights have been on the whole time. People doing stand-ups, doing interviews with different people. But uh, yes, yeah, certainly a lineup of reporters. And down by the front of the courthouse as well, just lined up with cameramen and photographers. And everybody seems to know everybody. I guess they've been uh, here for about eight months, so I, I understand they would. There's uh, radio and TV reporters. People are standing around with uh, boom boxes listening to the radio coverage here and with their ears sort of glued to the uh, radios listening to what's going on and, and uh, just really excited it seems most people are. When they had this arrest a few moments ago of somebody, police came running from I'm not sure exactly where but they came running down the street a whole group of them and this is a police officer beside me right now telling me to get off the road so I better but um, 
they, they are ready. If something happens, they are here ready to look after it. OJ was immediately released. He was put in a white van that transported him back to his estate on Rockingham Avenue in Brentwood. News helicopters followed Simpson as he made his way home, and the televised scene was an almost surreal reenactment of the low-speed freeway chase that began the criminal trial saga. Simpson didn't speak to the media before he left, but his son did. During a news conference inside the courthouse, OJ's older son from a first marriage, Jason, read a statement from his dad. I'm relieved that this part of the incredible nightmare that occurred on June 12, 1994 is over. My first obligation is to my young children who will be raised the way that Nicole and I had always planned. My second obligation is to my family and to those friends who never wavered in their support. But when things have settled a bit, I will pursue as my primary goal in life, the killer or killers who slaughtered Nicole and Mr. Goldman. They are out there somewhere. Whatever it takes to identify them and bring them in, I'll provide somehow. I can only hope that someday, despite every prejudicial thing that has been said about me publicly, both in and out of the courtroom, people will come to understand and believe that I would not, could not, and did not kill anyone. My father will have more to say at a later time. Motorists and pedestrians cheered and waved at Simpson as the van made its way to Brentwood. When he got there, Simpson embraced his close friend and former football teammate, A.C. Cowlings, in the driveway of his estate. The prosecution team also held a news conference. A grim-faced Los Angeles DA, Gil Garcetti, said that his office would not reopen the case and made it clear that he believed a guilty man had gone free. Garcetti said, I stand in front of you, we all stand in front of you, with the belief that the evidence was there. This was not, in our opinion, a close case. And Garcetti urged people watching and listening to the news coverage to remember what the trial was all about. Remember why we're here. We're here for Ron, we're here for Nicole, and we're here for every other victim of violent crime. Our job is to seek justice. This case was fought as a battle for victims of domestic violence. We hope this verdict does not discourage the victims who are out there throughout our communities, throughout this country, from seeking help. When Prosecutor Marsha Clark spoke, she looked exhausted and her words were flat and emotionless. It was a dignified fight. It showed great courage, great integrity, great moral strength. And we have every reason to be proud of every single one of them. And we are. Thank you. In a 2016 interview on Dateline, Clark said the not guilty verdict was physically painful. She ultimately blamed herself for the outcome, but also said the problem was the jury didn't want to believe. And so at the end of the day, you can't make someone believe something they don't want to believe. Clark also insisted that it was co-prosecutor Christopher Darden's decision to ask Simpson to try on the glove during the trial 
and that she believed it was the wrong move at the time. Still, Clark doesn't hold the decision against Darden. He said to me, I'm sorry, and I said, that's okay. If that lost the case for us, we were never going to win anyway. When Darden spoke to the media on verdict day, his pain was palpable. He started off by saying, We came here in search of justice. It's up to you to judge if we ever found it. Then he said he wasn't bitter or angry, and he started to thank his colleagues before emotion took over. I'd also like to thank the the lawyers uh, on our prosecution team. I am honored to have... Mid-sentence, Darden raised his hand and walked away from the mic, into the arms of colleagues. Marsha Clark tried to console him, but Darden shook everyone off and he walked out of the room. A year and a half later, he appeared on The Oprah Show, and she asked him what he was thinking when he broke down at the news conference. Darden said he was thinking he didn't want to lie and be like Mark Furman and O.J. Simpson. He didn't want to say he wasn't bitter or angry, because that was a lie. Darden was angry that the trial turned into a mockery and a joke. He called it pointless, a waste of his life. Ron Goldman's father, Fred Goldman, had more to say on verdict day. He spoke openly and honestly from the heart. Last um, June 13th, 94... was the um, worst nightmare of my life. This is the second. I will forever be proud of my son and my family. Thank you. Goldman went on to say, I deeply believe this country lost today. Justice was not served. Eventually, the crowd outside the courthouse left without incident. But many had a new destination in mind. O.J.'s house in Brentwood, where he was gathered with family members for a champagne party in the backyard of his lush estate. So I hopped in a cab and headed there too. When I arrived in the posh Brentwood neighborhood, police were keeping the public four blocks away but the media was allowed to travel on foot right up to O.J.'s house. I was nervous, but I showed my media badge and the police officers let me in with the rest of the network reporters, cameramen, and photographers. I had never seen anything like it. Helicopters hovered overhead and the media climbed on ladders to look over and through the shrubs that surrounded O.J.'s property. They were trying to get a peek at the party on the other side. In Canada, this kind of media spectacle was not a thing. Canadian reporters were way too polite to invade someone's privacy so openly. When a cameraman asked me if I wanted to use his ladder to take a peek, I timidly climbed to the top and took a quick look before descending back to street level. I felt somewhat out of my league here. I was a bit starstruck too. I looked at a TV reporter standing beside me and was pretty impressed by her beautiful hair. And when she turned around, I realized it was Maria Shriver, 
who at the time was still married to Arnold Schwarzenegger. On the other side of the shrubs, we could see colorful balloons, and Robert Shapiro was outside celebrating with Simpson family members. Laughter and conversation could be heard, but O.J. was nowhere to be seen. Then the atmosphere changed dramatically. Police, for some reason, let the public come right up to O.J.'s property. A group of people chanted guilty over and over. Surely it was loud enough for the partygoers to hear. And some women carried placards that said, stop domestic violence. Despite the verdict, they still thought O.J. killed his ex-wife and Ron Goldman. And they were angry that people were partying and celebrating. I'm just here because I see everyone happy playing sax. Two people are dead, murdered, and all the evidence points to him. And then Cochran does this big sermon thing and everyone's going, praise God. I just think it's a joke. And I'm here to speak my opinion. Because everyone's OJ supporters, I don't know, like he's the good guy, the Jews. How could this guy commit these murders? There's, nobody knows the personal lives of celebrities. Everyone has their weaknesses and their strengths. And obviously his weakness led him to the murder. But this young neighbor said people should leave OJ alone now. Well, I feel that, I mean, he's been, you know, he's been tried, he's been found not guilty, and it's over now. He's just a man living in a house now, and he was a football star, but that is no longer the case, so just leave it alone. It's over, you know? That's my opinion. Are you mad that all these people are in your neighborhood? No, I'm not mad about it, because I understand. I mean, we're an information society, and people are naturally curious, and everybody wants attention, like this man. I'm a man, I'm a man. You know, I mean, I just, it would be nice if it would be understood that this is about justice, not about a media circus, you know. Will you be so. happy when it's over? Yeah, it would be nice, but I know that, you know, this is going to be continuing until the end of time. I mean, this is just human nature, I guess, and crimes always will be committed, so the masses will follow, you know. There were a lot of supporters in the crowd, too. I believe when they went in the jury room, they said, is there anybody here? who think, who has a reasonable doubt. And after all 12 of them said yes, why, why would you hang around to talk about what your doubt is? Who cares? I don't give it was Furman, was it the blood, was it the uh, socks? Whatever it was, it caused reasonable doubt. So that's why the juice is loose and I'm just as happy as I could be. I think that the media from the very beginning had a predisposition to taint the public at large the guilt of O.J. Simpson. My question to all these bogus polls is what did the evidence prove? Did the evidence prove beyond a reasonable doubt that O.J. Simpson was guilty? No. No, it did not. When F. Lee Bailey drove his Jaguar through the crowd on the way into O.J.'s estate, the crowd went wild. Johnny Cochran also came out on the back deck and waved to the crowd, which caused a lot of shouts and whistles. He would always be remembered as the man who helped set O.J. free, possibly with these memorable words. Johnny said, if it don't fit, you must acquit. And that's all we did, y'all. We just acquitted. You know what I'm saying? There wasn't no evidence. There wasn't none whatsoever. But O.J. said, we got to go. He stood there as a brave man. And when he said that, if it don't fit, 
You y'all must do what? Acquit. Do it again. Acquit. One more time. Acquit. Just for who? OJ. After the trial, Cochran heatedly denied suggestions by reporters that race had transcended evidence during the trial. He called suggestions that he had exploited the race card to win over the mostly black jury as preposterous. Cochran said, we chose to call it the credibility card. But fellow defense attorney Robert Shapiro disagreed. He went on ABC the night of the verdict and said, not only did we play the race card, we dealt it from the bottom of the deck. Shapiro said he was deeply offended that Cochran had compared Furman to Adolf Hitler. He said he would never work with Cochran again and would never talk to attorney F. Lee Bailey. The verdict was just a piece of the seemingly endless fascination with the infamous case. The obsession would be buoyed for the next two decades thanks to a series of books published about the trial. Almost everyone tied to this case told their side of the story. Books were published by prosecutors Marsha Clark and Christopher Darden. Also pending their exposés were most of Simpson's legal team, which included attorney Robert Shapiro, Johnny Cochran, and Alan Dershowitz. If the legal teams weren't enough, there was the book by forewoman Amanda Cooley and fellow jurors Carrie Bess and Marsha Rubin Jackson, who told their story in their own words. Then there was the one by Detective Mark Furman, or the one by Nicole Brown Simpson's former best friend, Faye Resnick. And of course, there's the infamous If I Did It, Confessions of the Killer, a book that was allegedly penned by Simpson detailing how he would have hypothetically committed the crime. It was published in 2007. The Goldman family successfully sued for the rights to the book. The case was also covered in countless TV series and movies, including the award-winning TV series The People vs. O.J. Simpson and the documentary O.J. Made in America, which won the Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature at the 89th Academy Awards. In the summer of 2019, Kim Goldman, the sister of Ron Goldman, launched a podcast called Confronting O.J. Simpson. Goldman revisits the case by interviewing several witnesses and jurors, as well as prosecutor Marsha Clark and others involved in the case. As for what happened to the man at the center of it all, O.J. Simpson? Well, following the acquittal of criminal charges, Ron Goldman's family filed a civil lawsuit against Simpson. On February 5, 1997, a civil jury in Santa Monica, California, unanimously found Simpson liable for the wrongful death of and battery against Goldman and battery against Brown. Simpson was ordered to pay $33.5 million in damages. By the 2000s, Simpson had a myriad of other financial and legal troubles, which included battery, burglary, and allegations of drug trafficking. His troubles culminated in an arrest in 2007 along with three other men. Simpson was charged with multiple felony counts, including criminal conspiracy, kidnapping, assault, robbery, and using a deadly weapon. He faced a possible life sentence with no parole on the kidnapping charge and mandatory prison time for armed robbery. On December 5th, 2008, 
Simpson was sentenced to a total of 33 years in prison, with the possibility of parole after nine years. He was released on October 1st, 2017. Today, the 71-year-old lives in Las Vegas, and in June 2019, he joined Twitter, which, according to a Guardian article, sparked outrage. In his first video, OJ said he has a little getting even to do, and he claimed that his Twitter account would be used to set the record straight. At last check, he had over 880,000 followers. Thanks for joining me on the incredible journey through the verdict of the trial of the century. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps spread the word and get more people to find the podcast. We're available for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else you get your streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information about what you heard today. If you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter at 1990s History, on Facebook, and you can reach me by email at 90s at CuriousCast.ca. That's 90s at CuriousCast.ca. This show is hosted and written by me, Kathy Kinzora. Dila Velasquez is our producer, and sound design and final production is by Rob Johnston. See you next time for more History of the 90s.